Whether you have a diagnosis or not, I don't care. I'll teach you how to find what's causing your health concerns using the labs you already have. Your doctor might tell you your blood work is normal, but I'm here to teach you a better way. If you're a doctor or a health coach and anything in between, there's one for you too. Go grab your free blood work and supplement sheet guide so you can learn how to read your labs yourself. Plus, come join me for the free three-day live what your normal labs really tell you challenge every fourth week of the month with the last one in May. Download your cheat guides and register here at drkylieburton.com. This podcast is sponsored by Systemic Formulas and Nutribiome. Systemic Formulas, the supplement company I trust with my patients and family. In fact, when I discovered Systemic Formulas, not only did my patients get faster results, but it made my life easier too. Instead of ordering from a handful of companies, I use 95% SF products. They're top of the line quality with the best lab west of the Mississippi. They're pure, potent, and they get results. In fact, I recommend you follow their Instagram at Systemic Formulas Institute. Jump inside their Facebook group and put my name into the search bar. You'll discover multiple videos of me teaching you labs, products, and even business tools. Everybody can join the Instagram, but practitioners, the Facebook group is just for you. Also, the man who's behind the Systemic Formulas products, Dr. Shane Morris, is launching a new line of supplements designed to take your microbiome to the next level. And it's not just probiotics. He has specific prebiotics designed to feed the probiotics. Oh, and anybody can order them too. Learn more and order soon at mybiome.com. M-Y-B-Y-O-M-E.com. And last but not least, are you a practitioner looking to improve your online presence, but it's overwhelming thinking about building a website, connecting it to a funnel, and then having it all actually make money? Let Tara help you take your dream and make it a reality. She's been the driving force behind my entire website and mastermind, my entire online business. Tara can help you build yours too. She's got brand new packages designed to help you grow your business and future-proof it. With over 20 years of experience in the online business consulting and website mastery world, she's your girl. Go check her out at TaraConsultingInc.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G-I-N-C.com. All right, let's jump into the episode. Welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast with me, Dr. Kylie. We are in season four, over a hundred episodes in. If you have liked any of it and felt empowered, go to your favorite podcast listening app and leave a review. Those reviews are the best compliment I can receive. And they will help others find the same pivotal information to help you transform your normal labs into answers, healing, and hope whether you have a diagnosis or you don't. Today's guest is Ben Ahrens, right? Yep. I should have asked beforehand. You got it. Ben Ahrens. He is a neuroplasticity coach and founder of ReOrigin, R-E-Origin, for retraining the brain. He found himself plagued with a debilitating illness called Lyme disease. And 
retrain his brain out of it amongst some other things, which we will get into. But Ben, welcome. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. I told you before, I'm like, you look really young. Okay. So those of you who are just listening to this, the man looks like he's 22 years old. He says he's 38, but we'll see about that. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I attribute it to maybe perhaps just getting out of the shower and having some some wet hair, clean shaven, <laughs> does the trick. Yeah, these used to just be audio things where I was like, didn't really matter about what the looks are, but now they're video as well. Um, you can find these videos on Legrity Media. We'll post all the links below on how to get inside that entertainment network. But for this episode, I love this idea of neuroplasticity and the mindset and the brain. When I first got into functional medicine, I thought two things. One, I was going to have to put people on anti-inflammatory diets, cut the gluten, the dairy, the sugar, the sugar, the eggs, the nuts, whatever it is. And two, the physical and the supplements, if you just got the right physical treatment plan, I was going to change the game. Boy, was I dead wrong. One, people are already on crazy diets and my goal is to get them to just eat food again. And two, if you don't change the brain, no physical modality is going to be the key changer, I should say. So let's talk about the brain and let's talk about your story. Back us up to your early 20s. Yeah. So my story started around age 25 when I was a healthy, active individual. I was operating a, a surf camp, summer sports camp here in Long Island, and uh, also had a personal training business in Manhattan and uh, was also traveling the world and surfing and just doing the things that I love to do. So happy-go-lucky 20-something. And at age 25, all of a sudden, my health started to take a serious nosedive. And I ended up spending about three years bedbound. The first year or so was spent just trying to untangle this and find out what was actually happening. But I wound up with debilitating fatigue, brain fog, feelings of uh, joint pain, these migrating muscle pains, so fibromyalgia, uh, all these different things, heart palpitations. And it turned out, long story short, you know, you go from one doctor to the next, turned into 25 doctors or so, and uh, turned out to be a case of neurological Lyme disease, something that I had very likely picked up as a child growing up in Montauk with, you know, my sister and I, I remember as kids pulling ticks off each other. And, um, but for whatever reason, it didn't really manifest until, you know, this age. Later on, in retrospect, I learned that it's sort of a total load theory. I know you talk a lot about in biological as well as functional medicine, this idea that you might have something come along like a, a Borrelia infection or a pathogen that acts as the straw that breaks the camel's back, but the camel's back might not have broken if it wasn't already carrying such a heavy load. So being stuck in this scenario for, for years, one of the things that really caught my interest and curiosity as well as just trying to navigate my way out of this was this notion that a lot of people come in contact with certain uh, triggers, certain uh, whether it's foods or allergens or pathogens, and only a small percentage of them have ongoing symptoms from that. So, and we know statistically that, you know, if a cold virus breezes through the room, roughly 30% of people will actually get sick and exhibit symptoms while the rest won't. So there must be more to the picture than simply what we come in contact with. There's also how and why your body is responding. And that really led me on this journey 
into uh, neuroscience and studying the brain and how the brain acts as the sort of chief choreographer of all of these bodily functions, including the immune system, the stress response, digestion, and all of these different things that enable us to either return to homeostasis or deviate further from it. The brain is so important. So when you found yourself bedridden for three years, I can only imagine, especially in your mid twenties, what was the first step you took? Well, the first step initially was to go to my uh, primary care practitioner. This was in the first, you know, uh, six to eight weeks when I wasn't getting better and I felt these flu-like symptoms. And uh, at the time, I believe he he did a test for uh, Lyme disease, the ELISA test, found positive titers, but said, looks like this was an old infection. So he put me on a few rounds of uh, doxycycline, kind of the standard protocol. And when that didn't work, I saw a cardiologist at the time I was experiencing heart palpitations. So he, you know, ran the halter top monitor, 24 hour test on me, found that of course I, my heart is all over the map. That led me to the neurologist who did EKGs, punch muscle biopsies, nerve conductivity testing, spinal taps, and functional MRIs, found brain lesions in the frontal cortex, and basically gave me a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis was the clinical diagnosis. So that led me further down the rabbit hole and um, kind of made my way into the the chronic Lyme scene where um, there's a lot of information for better or for worse out on the internet about people who have gotten sick with Lyme disease and for whatever reason, weren't really able to make a full recovery and where it's gone on for for years and in some cases for lifetimes. So um, I started to investigate that. That led me down the rabbit hole of functional medicine, biological medicine, even energy medicine, and ultimately to the nervous system and just trying to start to understand what's happening when some people get better and some people don't. Why is it that some people get really sick from this while other people don't? For instance, my stepfather is one who tests positive for Lyme every time he he gets tested and is completely asymptomatic, has never had any symptoms related to, you know, such an illness. So this really began my curiosity, you know, why are some people experiencing responses in relationship to foods or chemicals or Wi-Fi while other people don't? And the answer has to be something with the brain, with how information is being signaled from the environment through the nervous system and basically to the rest of the body. And that kind of led me on to taking some neuroscience classes at UC Berkeley remotely and uh, learning about this, this whole emerging field of neuroplasticity, which is really what started to give me hope. Neuroplasticity is basically the idea that the brain is completely malleable. It can absolutely change itself, both structurally and functionally. And so because I had ostensibly brain damage at this time, when I learned that the brain actually can change, that the brain can heal the same way a paper cut on your finger can heal, I became very, very hopeful that perhaps this condition wasn't a death sentence but maybe I could do something to facilitate some of that neuroplasticity to create or cause some of those positive changes to take place in my own brain. And I turned to research that uh, had been done on stroke victims and people who had basically recovered from from traumatic brain injuries and uh, started to apply some of these fairly simple exercises myself and was just pretty astounded by the progress I made within a few months brain fog was 
about 50% diminished. I could start to read again within about six months. I could get back to, to walking and within 10 months I was back to part-time work and uh, it's just progressed up from there over the last eight years or so I've been hundred percent healthy and it's just uh, really sparked my, my interest to go deeper into this field and, and help others learn to do the same. So you said three months into this, your brain fog was 50% improvement Six months in, you were back walking around, so the bedridden was gone. And then 10 months in, you were what? Back to part-time work. Did you do any like physical treatment or is this pure brain? Yeah, really good question. So primarily, it was the brain power. It was, you know, the interesting thing that I noticed when I went from being, let's say, we'll call it 100% healthy or at least feeling, you know, in my prime to... Uh, feeling completely uh, low energy, lethargic, not able to do things was that it happened very quickly. And it's kind of akin to if you've ever pulled an all-nighter or two and tried to go into the gym and work out after you know being in that sleep-deprived state, you, you'd probably find that you might only be able to exert yourself, let's say, you know 30% of what you normally could. Now, it isn't the case in that scenario that you've lost 30% of your muscle mass in 48 hours. You still have that, but rather what's gone or what's diminished is the central nervous system's ability to contact and communicate uh, with those muscle fibers and recruit that strength that you do have access to. So despite being even bed bound for you know, a long period of time, I did absolutely lose some strength and a good amount of muscle mass. I believe it was 40 pounds was what I, what I lost. So there was absolutely some, you know, physical reparation that had to happen. And I did certainly didn't jump back into full-time, you know, exercise and same level of activity that I had before, but making that transition from, you know, the bed or the sofa as it was to walking around through just incremental training through going to the end of the block and then going around the block. And then the next week going around two blocks and so forth took place over about three to six months to the point where I could be a functional uh, member of society again. So, so you're literally chronically ill with Lyme disease to the, one of the worst cases I've ever personally heard to just retraining your brain, knowing that it can be retrained and you literally change your life. Step-by-step step, it did. Yes, absolutely. That is, that's so cool. I think so often we get caught in this trap of what's physically wrong with me. Do I have a diagnosis or not? Technically a diagnosis is quote unquote your answer. And then the third aspect of it would be, okay, now what's the physical treatment? Very rarely do we think, how can I change my brain? literally, to change my life. Yeah. Well, what I started to think about was, you know, as I mentioned, really asking this question of not necessarily, not even first asking, you know, how am I going to get better, but why did I get as sick from this as I did? Why is it that other people come in contact with this or have the Borrelia infection and don't exhibit any symptoms? Why is it that some people are exposed to the cold you know, uh, yes. virus or pathogens and don't get sick at all while others do. What's responsible for those massive fluctuations, you know, within the population? And there's a lot of different aspects to that. It's sort of a, a loaded question. There is the 
the total load theory, which I think makes a lot of sense, which is essentially says that, you know, your brain and body and nervous system are highly adaptable and they can, they're built to handle a certain amount of stress and stress. I'm using as sort of an umbrella term to encompass life stress, even adverse childhood experiences or traumas, as well as physical traumas, and as well as toxins and pathogens and things coming at us from the environment. It's only when all of these different stressors exceed our current capability to recover from them that we start to experience symptoms. So it's sort of like this, yeah, this, this total load theory. So I started to you know, think about it in that way. Nice. So we know the power of it. Well, how do we get started? Like what's one simple way listeners and even myself can start retraining our brain right now? Yeah. Well, you know, first I'll say, let's, let's just take a, a quick look at the sort of mechanism of what's actually happening here. So when someone finds that they've been sick for a long period of time or had an uh, acute illness or, or injury during a time of great stress, when the body might've been in this sort of hypervigilant state, what can happen is essentially the nervous system can get stuck in that chronic stress state, which we know as the sympathetic or that fight or flight state. And because the, the body is sort of a system of, of resources and resource allocation, when it prioritizes its immediate survival, that's to say when it thinks it's under an, an acute threat, then like that would be akin to that you know, total load exceeding your capacity then the body will mount that fight or flight response and start to activate all of these inflammatory processes to deal with what it perceives as the, the aggressor. And as a consequence of that, it draws resources away from what it sort of deems in a hierarchy as secondary functions. So these would be things like digestion, functioning of the immune system, uh, even detoxification, lymphatic drainage, and things like that sort of take a back seat to this, again, what it just perceives as this more immediate threat. So it can learn this response over time. And then even after, let's say the pathogen is under control or subsides, or after the initial trauma or trigger is out of the picture, the brain and body essentially can get stuck almost like a muscle memory, but it's really like a, a, a deeper than that. It's like a neurological, almost cellular memory can get stuck in this overactive phase. So what we have to do and the idea of neuroplasticity is essentially retraining the brain that it's actually safe, that it's not currently under, under a threat. So we have to communicate new information, sort of update that, that programming. So like one example here would be of, of how this overactive threat response could look. You know, there's this um, <laughs> sort of anecdotal, funny story people, people say about, you know, never tap a, a martial artist on the shoulder because if, you know, if they're triggered, they'll turn around and probably unleash a flurry of blocks and kicks and punches your way. And that's because again, anecdotally, you could imagine that they may have practiced and rehearsed these same exact movement patterns over and over and over again with respect to being grabbed on the shoulder, right? Maybe, maybe they were training for when they were under attack and someone was attacking them by grabbing them by the shoulder. And so they essentially entrained their nervous system and their, their musculature with this sequence of defensive maneuvers. So that's sort of like what the nervous system and the immune system does is it learns this sequence or series of defensive maneuvers with respect to a certain threat. And those defenses look like the release of inflammatory cytokines and mobilization of 
cortisol and adrenaline and all of these different hormones that can, in the acute setting, keep you safe. But in the long-term sense, they can sort of drain the battery on the body's vital resources. So what you'd want to do, of course, is if you tap that martial artist on the, sh on the shoulder, we want to communicate a new message first. We want to somehow update him that, hey, this is just a tap on the shoulder. This is not an attack. This is you know, simply trying to get your attention, perhaps. So similarly here, what we're trying to do is communicate that perhaps these, you know, let's say it's food sensitivities, that these foods that you've been uh, reacting to and now perhaps overreacting to are actually not threatening to the system, but they're benign. So that involves a process of this neuroplasticity, updating the information and something that we call systematic desensitization. So you're gradually exposing yourself to small amounts of this, uh, the substance or the thing that might be triggering you uh, in doses that you can handle so that your brain eventually becomes desensitized to it and you can coincide with it without it impacting you. I've never thought about that in regards to food sensitivities. My thing with food sensitivities has always been, you know, fix the gut and do the gut right and your body can handle them again. Where that's a total new aspect of retraining the brain so your body can handle them again. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to note that all of these different things are multifaceted. And of course, even the gut and the brain, we know communicate through the gut yeah. axis, right? So you're, you're very there, spot on. <laughs> so there is absolutely, you're right. There is certainly some physical reparation that needs to take place by giving the gut a break, you know, by temporarily perhaps removing those things from your diet so as to not add more acute stress to the system. But then you know, I know many people, myself included, who have whose diets have become increasingly restrictive to the point where you can hardly eat anything. So I think the idea is to give your system, in this case, the lining of the gut, a chance to repair itself and help it along. You can assist it with, you know, certain nutrients and things like that and enzymes. Uh, well, at the same time, starting to retrain the brain so that you can gradually introduce these things back into your diet. So to the extent that they won't have the same uh, impact on you. And, you know, in, in short, the way we kind of go about doing that, the approach we take using neuroplasticity is to practice keeping yourself in a relaxed state. So we break the cycle of the maladaptive stress response. Cycle. Yes. Breaking the stress cycle and replacing it with a very conscious and intentional relaxation response that we teach people how to induce themselves through movement, posture, breathing, and visualization. So a combination of all these things put together in a five-step sequence that we've developed along with a, a neuroscientist and a clinical psychologist to essentially give people a tool to teach them, teach their body and teach their brain a new habit. So whether it's, you know, whether they're dealing with something like anxiety or depression or something more physical, like these food sensitivities or fatigue or even uh, pain syndrome, all of these things in a way can be seen as a habit on some level that the brain has learned and that the nervous system is keeping active by firing these same old neurons. But the tenet of, of neuroplasticity is that neurons that fire together wire together. And it also says that neurons that fire apart wire apart. So that's to say that when you start to interrupt or break these cycles, you start to break those 
subconscious patterns that you can actually decouple those old neural pathways. And we know that, you know, people with pain syndrome now who have been suffering with pain for chronic pain for 20 years have actually through brain retraining, uh, shut down those old pain sensing neurons and turn them into regular neurons. So they're no longer experiencing the pain because it wasn't coming necessarily from actual damage that was present in the body. It was coming from old information where perhaps the body was damaged at one time, let's say if you broke your arm, but now it's 20 years later and you get stressed out or get a cold and you experience pain in that same region, it's just merely a reactivation of those old pain neurons that are at, were at one time appropriate, but are now obsolete. So you, you talked about the five steps. Dive into a little bit more on that. Yeah, sure. So this is essentially, you know, a sequence, again, similar to that analogy of, of the martial artist who's tapped on the shoulder, who somewhere down the line, perhaps through his own training, you know, learned this sequence of defensive maneuvers. What we want to do is essentially replace that with a sequence of relaxation maneuvers. So the first step is essentially to become aware that you're in this fight or flight response with respect to a particular trigger. So for instance, if it's social anxiety, then maybe the thought of being in a crowd later or giving a speech would trigger the stress response. If it's food sensitivities, then you know, merely thinking about going out to a restaurant could be sufficient to trigger some of those symptoms. So the first step is becoming aware of what those triggers are and what those responses are. And we have a, a sort of, what we call it thought loops, but it's like a mind mapping exercise that people do on paper to, to map out and, and bring their subconscious processes to light. So the next step is to interrupt it. And this is done again, using a change in behavioral pattern. So uh, change in posture, in head position, in breathing, and ultimately in where your focus goes. And the third step is to actually start to calm the limbic system. And for this one, we have people address that part of themselves, understanding that what was once an appropriate response meant to help them, meant to defend them or protect them, is actually now no longer doing that job. It's, it's actually causing more problems. So we sort of have them go through a script, give that part of themselves, in this case, the limbic system, sort of permission to, to calm down, to stop its overprotective activity. And then we make use of things like breathing and visualization to have them help them get into a deep immersive experience so that they can ultimately replace that stress response with a relaxation response. And what's really important here and what kind of separates our approach apart from other types of neuroplasticity programs is that this is done in a very personalized manner with respect to a person's specific trigger. So to give you one example of you know how I implemented this for myself, when I was getting back to, uh, to work, to part-time work at first, I was working in an office in midtown Manhattan. There was a lot of activity going on there near Times Square. And one of the ongoing symptoms I had was just hypersensitivities to light sound. And, uh, you know, it was a very challenging place to be. And yeah, by the time I, I got- That's not the place for that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. By the time I get to the office already overstimulated, I found that if the phone rang, that was usually sufficient to trigger a anxiety kind of attack or even a panic attack. 
And so this would go on for weeks. The, the phone would ring and all of a sudden my palms would sweat. My heart would race. My pupils would dilate, I would breathe heavy. And my mind then would start to chime in all of these, you know, negative what thoughts. If scenarios. Yeah. What if yeah. like, there's like, you know, someone's going to yell at me on the other end. I forgot to do this or that. It, all of these imaginary scenarios, most of which never come to fruition. Right. So the first Why is it that, that we always come up with the most negative imaginary scenario? You know, that's, I don't know that's, if you have the answer to that, but I mean, I'm human. That, I do the same thing. That's a really good question. And the answer actually is, is important because it really coincides with why this neuroplasticity type of work is so effective. In short, as I understand it, the brain has evolved essentially to first and foremost protect us, to ensure our survival. That's its number one job. And as part of that, it's evolved this, this sort of onboard negativity bias. So it's paid in the past or through evolution, it's paid to overestimate the sticks and to underestimate the carrots, right? It's sort of the, the ones who were more risk averse would be the ones that had a better chance of survival back in times where, where the environment itself was really dangerous. But now that we don't have you know, predators and we're not you know, falling off cliffs, and we're not living in such a physically dangerous environment, the threats that we deal with are more psychological, they're more emotional. But because the brain has evolved over millions of years and our technology and lifestyle has only evolved over the last few decades or a few hundred years, the type of response that those psychological threats like that ringing phone produce are still in alignment with, with survival responses. So when that phone rang, even though of course it wasn't life-threatening, my brain falsely perceived it as if it was life-threatening and it would start to mount that fight or flight response, prompting me to basically run away from a predator when in fact there was really no threat as such. Yeah. Cool. So, so at this point, essentially it's critical to realize that this, this response is out of date <laughs> to say the least, and that it's in need of an update. So the example I was giving of how I, how I sort of updated this by interrupting the pattern and replacing it was that every time that phone rang, I made a simple rule for myself where instead of answering the phone in that fight or flight state, I would take a really deep breath. I would relax my shoulders. I would take a pause and count to three and I would put a smile on my face and then I would answer the phone. And at first it was really hard to do, right? You know, because it was a it, involuntary response. Phone would ring, heart would start to race. But I reminded myself over and over and over again, and I got many chances throughout the day over several days to do this. And after about a week and a half, what happened was really fascinating. Not only when I heard that phone, did I not become panicked and have all those uh, symptoms, but I actually started to relax. I would hear that phone and all of a sudden my shoulders would settle down. My breath would go more deeply and easily. A smile would come to my face and I would start to feel completely relaxed because that's what I had been rehearsing and practicing with respect to that same trigger. So this is just kind of one example of how you can take a certain trigger, whether it's a sound or a food or a pathogen, and essentially start to retrain your nervous system's response to that thing. So cool. Okay. So much to think about. I know I'm going to have to go back and listen to this because you already have like things popping up in your brain about how other people and patients and my own family members. Do you ever work like on a, like on a therapy level? Like, I think it's like childhood yeah. trauma. 
Would that be something that you could rewire? Yes. You know, it's an interesting thing. There's um, so I'll first say that with what I do and with reorigin, we don't consider it therapy and we don't actually work directly with, with children. Although I will say that we do work with what we call core beliefs or what have, what we've learned, things that we've learned at a very early age. And, um, there was, I don't know if you're familiar with these studies on ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences uh-huh. where, the yeah, test. Yep. exactly. Yeah. Very yep. interesting that they're, they're now able to correlate, you know, people who have certain threshold or number of these adverse childhood experiences with their susceptibility to say autoimmune conditions or even mm-hmm. certain types of infections and pathogens. And the way I, I, I view that really is, is just that it falls under this same category of this total load theory. It's one more contributing factor to that total stress load on the system. Now, sometimes when we learn things as, as children, that's information that the brain has and reacts to that now, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, probably is in need of an update. So, you know, one example that I, I give in, in the reorigin program is let's say, and this is just to show how powerful the brain and, and body is and how, how these things work together. So imagine that, you know, you have a, a memory from childhood of your grandmother baking fresh cookies. And every time you smell cookies, or let's say chocolate chip cookies, it transports you back to, you know, this memory where you're sitting around the table with your family and you feel loved and supported and you're, you know, about to eat cookies. So it's this great warm feeling. So when you smell that, it might be sufficient to prompt a relaxation response, to release oxytocin, to make you feel all of these good, warm, fuzzy feelings. Now let's take another person, for example, same exact trigger, the smell of chocolate chip cookies. But for this person, let's say that there was a, they had a childhood experience whereby, well, they're, they were baking cookies, their parents were having an argument and their other sibling was, was stealing the cookies from them. And it was just a, you know, a sensitive situation, we'll call it. Now that person might smell the exact same thing, right? Same exact chocolate chip cookies. Let's say they're walking past the same exact store, but simply in virtue of their previous experience, they're going to have a completely different experience in the present. Their body is going to change and reorganize its chemistry in accordance with past programming, with something that they learned in the past. So rather than releasing oxytocin and feeling loved and supported and all of those warm and fuzzies, their brain might trigger the release of cortisol, adrenaline, epinephrine, and Mm -hmm. fight or flight response, right? So this is just, again, one of those interesting things that goes back to, it's not just what happens to you or what you come in contact with, it's how and why your body responds. And to your point in question, yes, I think, you know, any experience that you have in life, especially in childhood is just going to be one more factor that determines what your response mechanism is going to look like down the line. I I like your terminology there when you say update the brain. Yeah, that's, that's really what's happening because again, like the smell of chocolate chip cookies is totally benign. It's not really threatening to your body and it's also not really good for your body. It's, it's kind of either way. It's just the story that's ingrained in your, your brain and in, in the limbic system, that primitive part of the brain that's related to that scent. That's what your body is responding to. And so if that response is harming you, if that response is negative because of a past experience, 
then it absolutely would benefit you to update or update that information, upgrade the brain with new information that says, you know what, this is completely fine. This is benign. This is not hurting me. You know, thank you for trying to protect me in the past, but this is the present and um, this is not here to harm me. I love that. We're going to end right there. So update your brain with neuroplasticity. You can find all the details at re, re-origin, O-R-I-G-I-N.com. You can also find Ben and the Reorigin team on Instagram at reorigin underscore official. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, thank you so much, Kylie. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. feel empowered, loved this episode, help others find it by leaving a review. It's the best compliment I can receive. Then take your learning one step farther and discover what your normal labs really tell you by downloading the free cheat guide and register for the next three-day live challenge. Do it all at drkylieburton.com. Remember, there's a cheat guide and a three-day live challenge for those of you with medical background too. Take your practice beyond the diagnosis with your free downloads and challenge at drkylieburton.com. This podcast is sponsored by Systemic Formulas, Nutribiome, and Terra Consulting, Inc. Systemic Formulas is the supplement company I trust with my patients and family. Everybody can join them on Instagram at Systemic Formulas Institute. Practitioners jump inside their Facebook group. It's called Systemic Formulas Clinical Nutrition. Once inside the group, search my name and you'll discover videos on labs, supplements, and business tools. It's all free. See you on the inside. Are you a practitioner ready to uplevel your online presence? Tara is your girl. She is a brilliant mind behind my entire platform, my practice, and the BTD mastermind. From writing the copy to building the technical back end of my website to marketing strategy, I highly recommend you let her take your dream and make it a reality, just as she did for me. Get started here at TaraConsultingInc.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G-I-N-C.com. Be back next week.